This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there, this is the Business Breakfast, the bite size from Tuesday the 3rd of January. What we're going to kick off with, the big story today is Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid's top five list of New Year's resolutions. Going to dive into those shortly. Also, some cracking interviews today. Matty Bekink is an economist in Shanghai, fluent Mandarin speaker. COVID zero is out, China opening up is in. Looking at the future of media in 2023. Our series of CEO interviews getting their predictions for the next 12 months. Mars Shake is co-founder of the streaming TV service Stars Play. We've been speaking to him and in terms of construction, Saeed Al-Abar, the chief executive and founder of the engineering consultancy AESG based here in Dubai, but with offices around the world. Finally, you're going to enjoy this one. The comedian Russell Kane talking us through the economics of comedy, how COVID was tricky for a stand-up live comedian and what he did from a business perspective to get through it and pay the mortgage. All that to come. First up, though, let's dive straight in to our top story. Those top five predictions from Sheikh Mohammed. It is the beginning of a brand new year. It's time for a few resolutions. And as Brandy was just saying there, who knew that governments had New Year's resolutions? Yeah, well, people are saying New Year's intentions now rather than resolutions, oh, aren't they? Resolutions. You can't resolve. A bit old school. Resolve is old school. Intent is the new resolve, is it? Uh, it is. Or if you are the UAE government, you are looking at priorities. That's what they have set for this year. Five of them. The fifth... Um, is probably the most business breakfast of the lot, which is international economic partnerships and their expansion. But also in our wheelhouse, I would argue, is sustainability um, and the education system, as well as emiratization. Uh, but let's get the economists' take on that. We've been asking Ed Bell this morning from Emirates NBD what his key takeaways are from that list of resolutions. Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid, the ruler of Dubai and Prime Minister of the UAE, has outlined five major social and economic priorities for the country this year. Now, to us, one of the biggest that is going to become a real priority is expanding the economic links with other nations. We've seen the UAE sign several comprehensive economic partnership agreements in the last couple of years. That's including deals with India, Indonesia, and Israel, as well as expanding economic partnerships with other countries. And we'd expect to see that thrust go further in 2023 as the country tries to expand its trading relationship, but also deepen the relationship that it has with existing partners. Uh, We also asked him what economic goals he would be watching. Sustainability and the environment is also going to be a sector that we're going to be watching quite closely in 2023. The UAE is hosting COP28 in Dubai in November and December this year. And I think highlighting the country's environmental targets is going to receive a big boost. So the net zero targets for 2050, plans to introduce more things like carbon trading, perhaps, or set up exchanges to that respect. We'd expect to see more and more of that kind of activity expanding over the rest of 2023. And that is Ed Bell from Emirates MBD. There I was thinking a perma-crisis was Kylie Minogue in the early edition of <laughs> Neighbours. 
But no, Richard Dean says it comes from The Economist. It is not a permanent wave hairdo, no. This is the headline in The Economist this morning, their World Ahead Outlook for 2023. Zanny Minton Beddoes is editor-in-chief of The Economist, and she writes the following. The editors of the Collins English Dictionary have declared permacrisis to be their word of the year for 2022. What is a permacrisis? It is defined as an extended period of instability and insecurity. Zanny describes it as an ugly portmanteau that, nevertheless, accurately encapsulates today's world as 2023 dawns. And there are three things that make up the permacrisis. Three shocks, she says, have combined to cause the turmoil. Number one is the war in Ukraine. Number two is the biggest commodity shock since the 1970s and rapid inflation. And number three is the response to that, rapidly raising interest rates, led by the Federal Reserve, writes Zanny Minton Beddoes, which belatedly discovered it's in a Volcker, the world's big central banks undertook the fastest and broadest set of global rate increases in at least four decades. This is the permacrisis. It's not going away. War in Ukraine, rising commodity prices, rising interest rates. I'm sorry, but it's not a rosy outlook. The headline in The Economist is why a global recession is inevitable in 2023. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just giving you what they say. Well, if we're sticking with words, names, language, um, I think especially at the end of last year, heading into a new year, uh, we have to go to, uh, it's not well known for many things, but it is known for its banished words list that he releases every single year. I'm talking about Michigan's Lake Superior State University. Um, they have uh, released their now annual list of banished words um, amassed from submissions from around the world, highlights phrases or words that its judges deem misused, overused or just quite simply useless. <laughs> and the list this year includes goat, unless you mm. are t- talking about a herd of mid-sized animals, some with horns, some without, some with... Um, bells around the neck, some without. Um, unless you're talking about them, stop using the word or the phrase GOAT, which stands for, as an acronym for the greatest of all time. Uh, others on the list this year, inflection point, quiet quitting, gaslighting, making an appearance on the list. Um, uh, a list that serves to uphold, protect and support excellence in language by encouraging avoidance of words and terms that are overworked, redundant, oxymoronic, cliched, illogical, nonsensical and otherwise, otherwise ineffective, baffling or irritating, according to the uni. If you're putting one word in the box for 2023, what's it going to be? What, we'll it, ban it. We'll, we will ban it from the show. What's it going to be? Oh, I, you know the one I don't like. The one that I think it just gets used of, of far too much is headwinds. Uh, it just, okay. just doesn't make sense to me. Okay, we'll stick it in the box for 2023. Maybe we should have, like we all have to put a dirham in the box if you use it. Global headwinds. I mean, what? What is a headwind? No, no, no. I, I, I'm, I, I am, uh, I'll pay money to bring headwinds back. <laughs> it's not how the box works. <laughs> because it's, I wonder, whatever. I'm, I'm going to put in my 10 dirham. I'll, I'll take your one dirham and put 10 dirhams in. Uh, because headwinds is an aviation metaphor. And this is an aviation city. Headwinds are things that slow you down. I think it's a recognisable metaphor for people who live in a city like Dubai where air travel is ubiquitous. 
If you so, want to talk about it in, in aviation terms, then, Captain, you are more than welcome to talk about it in aviation terms. It's just the fact that every single article you read talks about global headwinds. So the global headwinds are the ones that affect us. But they're not talking about winds up in the globe, are they? They're talking about economic headwinds. Is that right? It's a metaphor. All right. That's what are you putting in the box? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I, haven't, I haven't got a bad word. What have you got? What's yours? We could have pick you, a verbification. Well, you know, haven't got a bad you know word. mine. The yours word, is? I cannot. cannot unboxing. Stand. No, my word is actually curated. Oh, you've always oh, hated yeah. that one. I got an invitation, and I say this with absolute love to the people who sent it to me 24 hours ago, to go and look around an office, basically. It was a PR invitation. Mm. Come and look around our client's office. Except they didn't say, come and look around our client's office. They said, and I quote, we would love to have you attend our exclusively curated tour. You mean come and look around your client's office? <laughs> curated, as in like, we're, we're, we're not going to show you the kitchen? I don't know. What does that mean? I mean, um, well, my, my, the one that I hate more than anything in the world, but it's not a 2023 or a 2022 word. It's been around, is gifting. Gift is not a verb, <laughs> should never be a verb, and must never be a verb. I do not gift. You do not gift. Uh, we do not gift. They do not gift. It's not a verb. It is a noun. I'll take that in the box. The... the uh, the other words that made it onto the list this year, um, or phrases, I should say, uh, moving forward, amazing. Does that make sense? Ir irregardless, uh, absolutely, and it is what it is. Um, also make it onto the list uh, from that. What was it? I forgot where they are. Michigan, uh, Michigan Lake Superior State University. Their banished words list. Yeah. Uh, people are messaging in more words for the box. I would say we're done with pivot. I don't think we've used pivot for a while. We stopped pivoting about six months ago. But it's sort of here to stay now, isn't it, pivot? It's like the new, it's like, it's like the, the new version of headwind. Um, it's going to be used in other contexts moving forward. But, but do you know what? I was thinking of the word pivot this morning. And do you know what context I was in? I don't think I want to. You were dancing. No, no, no. On, on air, it's fine. Because we're talking about the demolition of the Dubai land hoarding at the junction of Umsakim Road and the Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Road, as you drive up towards Al Qudra, it's been there for 15 years, and they're taking it down. And that's because they pivoted, because Dubai Land was going to be a bunch of theme parks, wasn't it? But then it wasn't. Then it was mixed-use real estate residential development. And this is like 17 years ago. They pivoted before pivoted was trendy. Early adopters. <laughs> they were indeed. <laughs> and because they pivoted, they don't need that hoarding anymore. So I quite like pivot. But someone that the reason that hoarding is coming down is someone needs that land now, surely. Or they need a giant roller coaster. But there's not a lot there because you between the the roundabout and Miracle Garden, mm. there's not a lot you can build there. Get another garden in. What would you build there? Okay, <laughs> keep this. Let's let's move the conversation on. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe a zoo, because there was talk of white tigers there, wasn't there? Well, no, we've got the safari park now. No need for a zoo. Okay, That's fine. the other thing. What about the zoo? That, that's prime real estate. That's still sitting there. Nothing being done to that. The original zoo set the space. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Let's talk the Chinese economy now, crossing live to Shanghai. Matty Bekink is China Director at the Economist Intelligence Unit. Joins us live. Morning, Matty. 
Good morning. Great to be with you. Thanks for your time this morning. Really, really transformative time in China. Ditching zero COVID, opening up to the world. Let's hear from Xi Jinping now. I'm sure you listen to this. His New Year's Eve speech. This is what Xi Jinping had to say to China. Matty, I've read the translations, but you're a fluent Mandarin speaker, so I'll let you tell us what Xi Jinping had to say in his speech on New Year's Eve. Uh, well, Xi Jinping was kind of encouraging the, the community and the, the people in China to look forward. You know, the truth is they've come through a really difficult year and 2023 will be a year of change and challenge for China. Zero COVID lasted longer than anyone initially expected and then collapsed faster than anyone could have imagined. So I think he was looking to reassure the population during what feels like a very chaotic and transitional period. Okay, so second biggest economy in the world, China. Kristalina Georgieva of the IMF speaking overnight on Sunday saying the reason that the global economy may be in recession this year is because China has run out of steam. How would you characterize the Chinese economy at the moment? You know, I think 2022 has been a very difficult year for China's economy. Zero COVID essentially had a chokehold on economic growth. It stomped on consumer and investor confidence. And, you know, all of the investment and trade data reflect this. It's also been a difficult year for China with weakening demand coming from Europe and the United States because of the war and, of course, uh, inflationary pressures. A lot of China's growth in 2021 was driven by exports. However, as we look to 2023, we're going to see some volatility at the moment because the path towards normalization will be bumpy, navigating surging infections, pressures on the healthcare system, etc. Um, but that should probably draw to a close by March. And at that point, recovery will begin and that should gain strength as the year progresses. You know, and the truth is, China's recovery will lift global growth for the simple reason that China is a big part of the world economy. We here in the UAE and in many parts of the world obviously look at this selfishly. China is our biggest trading partner. Before the pandemic, it was the fastest growing source of tourists for the UAE was China. And yet I'm reading a survey by Oliver Wyman, the consultancy over the past couple of days, saying more than 90, 90% of Chinese consumers surveyed over the weekend said they are avoiding going out. They don't even want to leave their apartment, let alone get on a flight to Dubai, Matty. Yes. Well, I think what you've seen actually is China go for in a matter of weeks from having some of the most restrictive COVID restrictions in the world to almost none. And after three years of hearing how dangerous the virus was to suddenly be told actually it's not so bad, it's going to take a period of time for Chinese consumers to adjust. One thing that also data has suggested is that we don't see revenge consumption in China after lockdowns. And if you look at other zero COVID economies, it took some while after they transitioned away from the strict restrictions for consumption to pick up again. Um, I do believe that you will eventually see Chinese travels, travelers excuse me, be willing to get on an airplane again, come to Dubai and, and elsewhere. Um, but it will probably take several months as you know this kind of transition period uh, plays out. What about China being the factory of the world? For example, we read last week that Tesla was closing its Shanghai factory a little bit early for a Christmas and traditional or Gregorian New Year break. And a lot of people were drawing a link between a rising COVID cases and having to do that. What do we know and what do we not know about the impact that the surge in COVID cases in China is having on manufacturing and supply chains for the world? 
Mm -hmm. Well, the truth is China for this past year, because of the continued adherence to the zero COVID policy, has created, you know, wreaked havoc on global supply chains and for manufacturers operating in China. It's really difficult to do business in an on-off economy, which is essentially what you had with the threat of kind of lockdowns to control even one case or the close contact of one case. So extreme was the policy. And so what you've seen over the course of 2022 um, is a bit more of a shift of uh, kind of risk resilience or kind of managing supply chains in a different way. Whereas we used to say, for example, that you could see decoupling everywhere except in the trade and investment statistics, you've now seen major companies go public with plans or even make investments in uh, countries outside of China. Um, you also see dual sourcing of raw materials in supply chains, kind of a shift in inventory practices from uh, just on time to just in case. And that's going to really change the nature of business. You know, some people have posited that Southeast Asia will be the big winner of China's zero COVID. I'm not sure that's true. What we see on the ground is that many companies are taking more of a both and rather than an either or approach. China is simply too consequential a market to abandon entirely. And in many ways, it's become the world's factory because it's not easily to replace. But uh, many companies uh, operating globally are looking to not have all of their eggs, so to speak, in China's basket alone. Finally, Matty, how important is this region where I'm in, the UAE, Saudi Arabia, the Gulf Arab states to China? A month ago, I'd have said probably not very, a bit of a blip on China's radar. And yet Xi Jinping was in Saudi Arabia just a couple of weeks ago. We had the vice premier of China, Hu Chunhua, visiting the UAE in Abu Dhabi. What did you make of that? I think it's quite consequential. If one thing is certain as we head into 2023, we're at a very fraught moment, not just economically, but also geopolitically, um, where you know US-China tensions, particularly around technology, are quite animating. Um, obviously, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and China's alliance with Russia, complicating their uh, traditional foreign policy stances of non-interference in the uh, affairs of others and of course support for territorial integrity. Um, there's a real question of what the future trading world order will look like, what the future kind of geopolitical world order will look like, will we end up in a more multipolar world? Um, obviously the US as a global superpower has been in, in question for some time. So I do think that you are seeing China, for example, seeking to forge more deeper alliances with countries that might be um, more uh, willing to kind of be on its side of how it would like to see the global trading world order change. I mean, it's an interesting moment. No country has benefited more from the current state of globalization than China. China has you know, accounted for some 25% of global GDP growth over the last 20 years. And yet there's a conversation here about kind of a globalization 2.0, creating a new world order that's more aligned, or at least has input from uh, the Chinese perspective or more aligned with Chinese values. And I think the Middle East is one region where they're reaching out with that in mind. Ten, sec ten seconds left, Matty. Can you go out in Shanghai for a walk and a cup of coffee on the Bund? Yes, you know, the, uh, everything is more or less back to normal. It feels as though everyone here has had it. Um, and so if you've already had it or you're not afraid of the virus, people are out and about. There is probably it's still somewhat more subdued because some people are still sick or are still afraid of getting the virus. But my family and I have all been there, done that. So we're having a great time. Matty, great talk. Do you appreciate your time? That's Matty Baking, China Director at the Economist Intelligence Unit, joining us live from Shanghai. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. We now turn attention to content creation and, of course, 
the streaming wars and the battle tactics in the streaming wars in 2022 shifted from outright land grab mode toward building sustainable and defensible positions. Certainly, uh, that was the some of the international headlines that were doing the rounds out there as the landscape became all the more competitive. It wasn't all about the international news stories, though. There were a number of organisations here in the region also making headlines worldwide, none more so than Stars Play, who became one of the main plays uh, for streaming uh, platforms here in the region and further afield. Their co-founder and CEO uh, is, of course, Marge Sheikh, who's been kind enough to join us live here in the studio to look ahead to what 2023 might hold. Marge, good to see you as always. Thank you, Tom. Good morning. Let's, I mean, we're here, we've, we've got here on the premise of talking 23, looking ahead. But before we do that, let's just sort of reflect on 22 if we can. Uh, the year has now gone, but a significant year for you, all the team at Stars Play, and a significant year for streaming here in the region? Certainly. I, th- I think a lot has changed in 2022 as well. You know, besides our, our transaction where um, EN Group and ADQ took a majority stake, I think you also saw uh, the launch of Todd, uh, the streaming platform, relaunch of Todd uh, from BN Sports, and you saw millions of people watching uh, FIFA World Cup on on a streaming platform. I think that was a big step ahead for the streaming industry in the region. 2022 was good. Is 2023 going to be better? We've asked you to put together a few predictions, if you can, with regards to some of the trends that we might expect to see. And they're sort of ringing through with a few of the other international trends. I'm looking at a few of uh, Forbes' predictions for this year. Uh, One that they've gone is ad-supported tiers will catch on and expand, will they? I think so. Uh, I think the driver behind this is that the content is becoming more fragmented on different streaming platforms. So consumers are having to subscribe to multiple services. And that puts the pressure on your monthly discretionary budget that you have. So consumers are looking for more pricing tiers. And the only way to offer that is to uh, create a pricing tier with advertising in it that becomes more affordable for, for a certain segment of the consumers. So from a consumer's point of view, how much is that going to change our viewing experience throughout this year? Is it going to be a sort of significant shift? No, I I think what it does is it gives the consumer more options. Mm. So um, I think what's more likely to happen is you will have a a service package that's still without uh, ads and then one with uh, with ads or it's ad supported. Um, it's not going to be as intense or heavy as as what you see on free-to-air broadcasters. Uh, I believe it's going not it's not going to interrupt your viewing experience. You're going to have ads before and after a TV show or a movie. Uh, next up, we turn our attention, and you just mentioned the you know the fact that um, uh, the FIFA World Cup, the first World Cup here in the Middle East, was available and streaming. Uh, that was a bit of a game shift. We're seeing obviously NFL games, the famous right. Sunday night NFL games, going to <laughs> streaming as well this year. Uh, more live sports? I think so. I think this is partly being driven by the fact that uh, consumers are shifting more and more towards short form content and and the patience and their attention span for big box sets for multiple seasons is going away. So so we see consumers shifting to streaming for either live sports or live news more and more. And I think streaming platforms are trying to catch that trend 
by creating more sports offerings on their service. Uh, we had the Cricket World Cup last year mm. on, on, uh, uh, on our service and it was phenomenally successful for us. And, and, and is that something you'd look to do more of this year? Definitely. You know, last year we did, uh, we had the Syria uh, Italian League, we had the Cricket World Cup, we've added UFC, uh, we've just added NBA. Mm. So I think the, 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 the live sports on streaming are here to stay and they're, they're a very, very uh, successful um, experiment for us and we're just going to continue to build on it. Let's talk... Um, just, I just mentioned that uh, NFL Sunday ticket deal um, that YouTube is putting together as well. Is that gonna, has that got the potential to change the game, the game that stops a nation uh, every week over in the United States? <laughs> I don't know about that part. I wouldn't go that far. Um, look, I think uh, I, I think the 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 trends are shifting between Facebook and YouTube. You have. Uh, you have the potential to move the rights more and more to streaming, and that's what we're seeing in US. Um, let's talk competition, if we can, um, because I mentioned there that the landscape changed in 22. It became a lot more competitive, yeah, and we all saw the big international stories and Netflix plays yeah. uh, in that landscape, etc. Um, is there more competition? Are streaming platforms competing with each other more? I think there's uh, more uh, competition among the streaming platforms, but I think the worrisome trend for the streaming industry is competition from the social media oh. platforms. So I think um, uh, so. The likes of TikTok now are perhaps what the the real competition for for the streaming platforms is. Uh, more and more millennials now, over fifty seven percent of the millennials prefer to watch content on, on uh, TikTok than they do on a streaming platform. So I think that's what we as an industry have to um, address. Um, TikTok has unlimited content creators, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and that doesn't cost them anything. So that's what the streaming industry has to contend with is, is the short form content. And I think that's why you see the shift towards um, limited series box sets. You know, you don't, uh, you don't see multiple box sets. You see seven or eight episode uh, seasons and that's what the industry is going towards more short form content the commitment for long shows is is just not there anymore i mean in terms of that and we we talk about attention spans a lot don't we uh, are, are episodes going to get shorter as well because we still see series releasing episodes that are best part of an hour etc that, that is beginning to change so um we see uh 20 to 22 minutes episode as perhaps the, the, the right size and, and shows that are seven to eight episodes with, like I said, 20 to 22 minutes uh, episode each. Mm. Anything longer than that, you know, there's always a demand for a show like Friends or Office that people tune in and tune out anytime and they'll binge watch it. But for new shows, uh, the commitment for box sets is, is beginning to wane. It's going to be a fascinating time, that's for sure. I'm sure there's going to be a number of big announcements from you and all the team at Stars Play. What's it going to do to the stock prices of all the majoring streaming things? That's <laughs> been a big talker in 22. <laughs> if, if I could make that prediction, I'd be in a different <laughs> business, right? <laughs> but yeah, it's been, it's been a tough year. 2022 has been a tough year for the, for the media industry in general. Yeah, listen, uh, all the best for 2023. Thank you uh, for joining us. this morning. Thanks also for all your support over 22 for coming in and answering the phone whenever we called. So big thank you to you and good luck to all the Stars Play team for this year. Thank you, Tom.
Big thanks to Mailshake for joining us uh, live on the show, the co-founder uh, and the CEO of Stars Play, looking ahead and giving us his predictions for the streaming industry in 2023. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. And now we turn our attention to construction. Saeed Alabar is with us in the studio. He's the CEO of AESG, major engineering consultancy here in Dubai, but with offices across the globe. Saeed, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. Good morning. Thanks for having us. So thanks for bringing your crystal ball in this morning. <laughs> Looking at construction industry, you say the first big trend that you're seeing this year is the return of what you call mega scale projects. Tell us more. Yeah, well, I think this is something we're definitely going to be seeing in 2023. I think if you look, um, the sector here has really been driven by you know what we term mega projects, which I'd say are those that are in that $250 million plus range. Um, you know, at the peak of 2007, 2008, there was probably about 27 to 30 projects a year awarded in that scale. But if you look at the last two years, you know, in Dubai, there's been none um, and probably about 10 in the last five. So it's really sort of hit the sector quite hard, that sort of staple of the, the big sort of anchor projects. What kind of things were we thinking about back then 15 years ago? Oh, there was all sorts. There was the underwater hotels. There was, you know, the the mega canals there was you know the islands and, and and all these aspects but you know a lot of those were th- those were project awards so a lot of it was also large-scale residential you know look at things like jbr dubai marina um and things like that so you know those are the, the types of scale projects sort of awarded delivered um so that obviously that's that's taken a hit in the last few years with you know the drop in oil price the covid covid impact and the like but i mean for us as a consultancy firm we're probably working on about 15 to 20 projects in that scale alone and that can probably be replicated across the market. So if even just a fraction of those get through tender and award, um, 2023 could be really um, an exciting year from that perspective. What kind of things are we talking about? And I'm aware that you will have non-disclosure agreements <laughs> and client confidentiality, but what, what can you tell us? Well, I think in, in the UAE, we're seeing a lot on the sort of hospitality side. Um, you can see sort of the, the big boom we've, we've seen in sort of tourism and the attraction to Dubai um, and, and, and other Emirates. Um, so really a sort of residential hospitality here. Um, KSA, the other big market, and a lot of that is underpinned by, by the giga projects, things you're seeing at sort of Neom, the Red Sea development, uh, Daria, and, and, and these type of, what I term sort of national transformation projects, uh, those that really sort of change the fabric um, of the economy. Um, so those are really where we see the the, the big pulls in the region. It's, it's the UE market and, and, and KSA. Well, that's interesting. For a business breakfast listener sitting at home on their sofa or driving to work, you run a consultancy with, what, 200-plus consultants at the moment? Yeah. Headquarters in Dubai, but offices mm. London, Singapore, and other places. What needs? What do UAE-based consultancies need to do to be able to win those lucrative contracts in Saudi Arabia and serve them? Because we know that Sunday morning or Saturday night flight to Riyadh has been a thing for a while now. But we also know that Saudi Arabia wants to award as many contracts as possible to Saudi-based companies, to companies that have not just a, a brass plate in Saudi Arabia, some, but some kind of tangible presence. How do you manage that? Yeah, well, I think it's it's being based in the markets you're in. So we've we've had an office and uh, a full Saudi engineering license since 2017. Um, team on the ground there, leadership on the ground there, and that's essentially in our sector. That's that's what's needed. You, you can't have your leadership teams and your delivery teams flying in and out because you know something goes wrong on a construction project on a on a Saturday morning and the team's not there because they're waiting for their 7 a.m. flight. You know, 
clients won't won't be sort of receptive to that. Um, so it's really and it's sort of showing the commitment to to being in in the region um, that you're that you're operating in. And and from our side as well, we we you know operate a sort of Saudi graduate program as well. So we're hiring you know nationals as well. So it's very important that you know and this is what we would replicate in other markets as well is making sure that you know if you are going to commit to a market you have to particularly in our sector commit to it you know fully rather than sort of one foot in one foot out but that can be quite an investment if you're bringing in international talent mm. saudi arabia probably still a hardship posting so mm. you're still paying the the housing and the school fees or if you're hiring saudi nationals which is obviously option a mm. great but again not cheap. Mm. There's a real war for talent, mm. for Saudi talent, whether it's lawyers or engineering consultants, whatever it may be. How do you balance that? Um, I think that the war for talent is something that happens in every market and has always been there. Um, you know, ebbs and flows with different market conditions. Um, I think what we're able to do as well is leverage on sort of a global delivery model that, you know, we have the, the right skill sets in the right markets. Um, but we need to call upon skill sets here or in the the London team uh, to deliver a project in 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 Saudi Arabia then then we can do and that obviously you know helps from that perspective um, but it's also factoring it into you know being aware that if there is higher costs to doing business you know Singapore as well is not a not a cheap market to to, to operate in um, you have to sort of done your research to make sure that the fees you're you're going to be getting in that market covers those 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 costs uh, to deliver basically um, and yeah there is a higher cost to deliver for us as a consultancy even a project in in Saudi Arabia, and we'd see it from the construction side when we see tender returns from contractors, the, the per square meter rates definitely higher in, in that market than here because of a number of these factors. Um, so, yeah, I think um, it's going into new markets with eyes wide open and being sure that, you know, you're factoring in your, your pricing to cover your, your, your core costs. So, Saeed, we're looking at your, your top three predictions for mm. 2023 in construction. Number one, we just discussed the return of mega projects. Number two is supply chain challenges. And number three is net zero. Mm. Let's look at number two, supply mm. chain challenges. Are they easing? Well, I think definitely the sort of post-COVID challenges are easing. We're seeing, you know, the, 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 the crazy sort of spikes we saw in steel, steel prices, cement prices in 2021, definitely easing. And we expect those will probably, you know, bar what happens in China over the next sort of Q1, Q2. I think we'll, we'll see those easing. But I think from what we're seeing is, is a regional delivery supply chain challenge. Um, as I said, you know, we've gone from a point of having, you know, lots of contractors in the market able to deliver lots of these mega projects to only a handful. I mean, if you look at the last five to 10 years, we've had obviously, you know, Arab Tech, you know, going their liquidation, which is, you know, $10 billion of liability, 10 billion dirhams of liability. Saudi Ogier, which is a major player, exited the market, again, about 13 billion of liability, whole restructuring of Saudi bin Laden group's debts, over 30 billion. So, you know, that's that's a huge impact to the whole supply chain, the subcontracts, et cetera, that all sort of take take that hit. And alongside that, and this is, you know, I guess as a result of the oil price hit that happened in 2015, but also through COVID, um, a lot of international players have left the market. So what we're seeing from a sort of consultancy side is the contractors you'd sort of turn to, to say, right, these are the ones we need to deliver this $300 million plus project. A lot of their order books are already filling up um, because there's such a shortage of, of, of supply of of, of the players that can do that as so well as it, through, the, through the chain. Yeah. It, it, it's not just stuff like mm. cement or steel, it's construction it's, companies. It's companies and, and people. Um, that's that's going to be a real, real war for talent. I think depending what happens with a lot of these tenders that we're seeing coming in the market, if a lot of them get awarded, which we predict will happen, then it really could be turning into a real contractor's market. And you know, clients will really have to sort of seek out their partners who to work with um, because there will be a shortage of 
the firms and skill sets that are able to deliver these, these, these mega schemes. Which brings me to my last question. We'll have to leave net zero for next time. Sure. Late payment in the industry. Does that mean we might see an end to late payment in the industry? 30 seconds on that. I think we're going to have to. Um, I think, look, from, from a client's perspective, they have to look after their supply chain now because it's, it's, they need them more than the supply chain needs, needs the clients um, because there's such a shortage. So they have to look after them from the perspective of late payments and honoring variations. Um, and I think those clients that do, and we're seeing that, will get a good service and will get their projects delivered. Those that don't, those contracts will turn away from them. And we're already starting to see that. So I'm hopeful that that will be a positive change, I guess. Last question. Where are you going to be flying to most in 2023 as a CEO of an engineering consultancy? <laughs> uh, good question. I don't have that crystal ball, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk to you at uh, New Year's next year. Saeed Alibar, appreciate your time this morning. Saeed is the Chief Executive Officer of AESG, engineering consultancy based here in Dubai. Saeed, shukran jaseed, and thanks for your time. Thank you. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Look back at the year that was and a perfect opportunity for us to catch up with industry leaders. We've been doing this since the beginning of the week. Uh, and we've, uh, well, we've, we've, we suddenly thought, hang on, who are we going to get to do sort of live gigs and live gigging here at the moment? Well, guess what? Walking into the building, one of the world's best out there. Uh, he is a man who has two chart-topping award-bagging podcasts to present, a regular on Channel 4, BBC and ITV. No stranger to stages across the globe, none more so than here in the UAE, a writer, an actor, a presenter. And he was the first ever comedian to bag the two most prestigious comedy awards. What on earth in the same year for the same show. He is renowned and loved the world over, well, for things like this. Group A sleepers, you're the most smug, annoying <laughs> to me. I can sleep anywhere, anytime. I'm just so good at sleeping. I've been like it since I was a kid. Mum said even like she put me in the pram and I drift off, even in the middle of a party. I can sleep anywhere, anytime. Sometimes I go to Glastonbury and sleep against the speaker, just against the techno. <laughs> Then there's my group, Group B. Where are you? We need perfect conditions for sleep. Perfect. We need blackout curtains, 20 degrees Celsius, perfect matches. I've heard a pin drop. I'm going to think about Syria till 5 a.m. Are you not who you are? It is a warm welcome to the studio to Russell Kane. Welcome back to Dubai, Russell. Still true. I've, I've not heard that for a while. Still true. When I check into a hotel, <laughs> the first thing I do is monitor. Is the, the tiniest gap in the curtain, particularly if you're in Dubai, it's like a vampire being burnt alive at 6am. If any light touches me, I can't bear it. I spring out of bed and start doing aerobic exercise. How to engrage yourself with three breakfast <laughs> DJs. Sleep, first thing. That's the first thing to do, isn't it? Talk sleep. Listen, uh, it's great to have you back here. Good to be back in Dubai. Yeah, it's great. Last time I was here, I was playing the Dubai Opera House. What a privilege that was. Beautiful venue and I was so delighted it was such a mixed bunch of people that turned up to see me I thought it was just going to be Terry Donner and Gary on holiday I had every from every nationality I had Emirati audience I had Australian audience an international gig it was fantastic I fell over on stage I was so excited (laughs) nearly broke my leg it was an amazing night and I was here for new year and I thought do I am I crazy enough and workaholic enough even though I'm supposed to be here unwinding to see if the QE2 is available. And it was on the 6th of January. It's something I've always wanted to do. It's an intimate gig. It's only 500 seats. I'm, I'm buzzing to be there, like a bee on a Barocca. Why, why, why theatre by QE2? What was, what was the attraction to 
Well, there's the, 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 oh, the history. Oh, so you watch the, anyone who watches The Crown, and, uh, <laughs> and it's just it's the novelty of it. I, I've done comedy in all kinds of places you wouldn't expect to see. I mean, even when you say the Dubai Opera House, some people are like what they stand up there. I've done it in aeroplanes. I've done it in mansions for rich people's birthdays. I've done, I've done, I've, mm. I've never done a boat. I've never done a floating entity. And it just tickled me, the, obviously the history behind it, the story, and after my sound check, I will be poking around all the historical artefacts. But just the idea, the idea of it just appealed to me. And also, it's, I keep doing this. I'll go somewhere where I'm supposed to be just looking around, having a weekend away, like Stockholm, and think, why don't I do a gig while I'm there? And the two things fuse, the culture, the experience of what I talk about on stage. Yeah. I want to ask you about that, because you mentioned there that you're a workaholic, that you are not shy of work, etc. Um, we know that we've been through COVID, obviously affected live gigging, uh, comedy, uh, uh, content creation, uh, it, 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 that industry more than many industries as well. Yeah. Has that changed people's approach to work in the, in the business? Uh, well, I, think, I can't think of an industry more directly affected by it mm. than theatre. I mean, even if you're in a, a nightclub or a brunch over here now, and people, some people have got this sort of COVID trauma where if they see someone coughing or sweating, they get all nervous for obvious reasons. Yet, if I'm in a brunch, I can move away from someone who looks a bit virusy. Mm. Once you're in a theatre, there's nothing you can do for two hours. If someone comes in uh, having a coughing fit, you're sat next to them. So we were the last industry to open. And not only that, my, my sub-genre theatre mm. of comedy, my job is literally to gather strangers in England, normally an unventilated old council building, and have them literally cough out a response to what I'm saying, like propel spores forward. So I'm, like, I'm never going to work again. My, I'm like a spore extractor. So for me, when it first kicked in, you, you got the you, people started, oh, it could be like World War II. I'm thinking, well, five years, that's a lot of storm to weather if your job is analogue, real world. Yes, I do a lot of corporate work, online work and things like that. So I had to diversify and the, my industry had to adapt quickly people that had never heard of zoom mm. were paying the bills very nicely off zoom mm. by december 2020 i did gigs for big banks you know barclays and things that are out here where i would appear in the middle in a in like a zoom square and then i would have cheat notes of jokes to do about the ceo you know it's all prepped and safe so i can make funny jokes about the industry and i thought i was the office party and there was all people in thumbnail with you know having a party at home or whatever and i'm making jokes about those empl employees so you, we did diversify so in march 2020 i was like my life's over what am i going to do i need to sell a kidney or something mm. but by december i was like yeah i'm just going to pop into the lounge in a corporate and i have a suit from the top up but be in my boxer shorts and slippers and in the end i was like oh dear i prefer this <laughs> like lindsay lindsay was like i'll keep the dinner hot yeah press pause on netflix so i'll be 20 minutes i'm just gonna pay the mortgage for six months <laughs> and now i've got to get back on trains i mean i love dubai but wouldn't it be good if i could just be a screen on the qe2 on friday a bit and but still be me all inclusive on the palm but has the work come back Yes, with a vengeance. With a vengeance. And also the atmosphere with a vengeance. It's, it's starting to fade slightly now. I mean, I'm touring a, sh a show back home called The Essex Variant, which obviously, is, as far as I know, it's the only show which talks about what we've been through for two years. Because the thinking from most comedians is what well, audiences don't want to think about COVID and what we've been through. But I say no. A lot of cultures around the world use humour as like a salve or an analysis, even in in business, you'll find, you know, humour is a great way of, of processing some of the, the bleaker things. If you can laugh together, it's, it's like a salve. So it's people have come out and there's laughter to be released as long as you do it in the, in the right way. 
And in fact, obviously, some of the things we've been through in the UK, what with Queen Elizabeth passing away, it's a very traumatic event for, for the nation. But yet, I had to work on that night. King Charles, to his credit, said, arts events will go ahead on that day. Mm. I just assumed my show would be pulled. Mm. But he said, like, because he's a big patron of the arts, mm. the show, How, what am I going to talk to 1,600 people about? But the atmosphere was primed and people were more ready to laugh, not in a disrespectful way, but in in the fact that there was there was tension there to be released. And humour isn't often a way to do that. You see that in all cultures around the world. Well, it's funny, I was watching on, on Netflix, Vladimir Zelensky did an interview with David Letterman. David Letterman's got this series of interviews called My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. And Vladimir Zelensky was a comedian like you. I mean, he, yes. he, his job description is exactly the same as yours. And he was saying, it clearly, I mean, a crisis at the moment. And yet humour can be, black humour can be a way to yeah. get through it. But it's quite difficult to strike that balance. It is if you're doing black humour. But I would argue there's still a place for, for belly laugh humour. I mean, go to... Uh, a, f- a funeral of course people are crying of course it's traumatic but there will be pl- times where you're crying with laughter remembering someone you see they, you know, masks were, tr- were weird and different but there is belly laugh humour there sadly there's belly laugh humour in some of the people that steered the UK <laughs> the I wish there wasn't I wish it was only bleak humour but there is belly laugh humour there's belly laugh humour in Brexit and its consequences and the things we haven't thought through it doesn't need to be edgy and black and risky it can be good to have that s- silliness is underrated mm. <laughs> we've got 30 seconds so I need to plug uh, it's Friday night right QE2 Fri- Friday night QE2 yep a floating investment just 150 dirhams uh, limited tickets remain available and it's going to be a classic I understand yeah yeah it's going to be a, a best of show there'll be in- interaction with the audience I'll talk a bit about um, uh, Covid and some from the tour show but mostly it's good because I've been here for two weeks it's going to be an analysis of Brits on all inclusive a lot of the time because look- that's funny <laughs> it is funny very funny at the moment Russell Thank you so much indeed for popping in. Thank you. Uh, last minute. Thanks so much indeed for your time. All the best uh, for the gig and all the best for 2023 as well. Thank you very much. Big thanks to Russell Kane for joining us live on the show. And a big thanks to all the team at GME Events. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.